0: Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 27th episode, the Nico Hülkenberg episode. And I am here after the Italian Grand Prix. Had to do that for last year's winner of Monza Ricardo, of course. Um, but yeah, the final European race and leg of the triple header. And now it is three weeks until the next round of the 2022 championship. I did not realize that heading into Monza, that Singapore is actually a ways away. I honestly thought it was a weekend off and then we're back at it, but that is not the case. Um, But we actually don't have much, uh, or I should say, we don't talk much F2 or F3 on this podcast, but both championships were actually decided this weekend. So I will go over that in a minute as well. But first, of course, let's review this Italian Grand Prix. It's lights out and away we go. So, story heading into the weekend, going from Verstappen's home race to the home of the Tifosi, on a track that appears to favor the Red Bull heavily. I actually um, was talking to my dad ahead of this race. He wasn't like the biggest Formula One fan or anything. Um, That I was saying that like on paper this could be like a historically dominant win for Max because. Ferrari was talking about in Spa how they really need to work on their low downforce uh, performance. Meanwhile, low downforce downforce performance is exactly where Red Bull is at its best at the moment. So, I was saying that um, Ferrari did bring the uh, extra yellow to celebrate their 75th anniversary this weekend. And I don't know if... uh, the Tafosi did give them a little bit more horsepower this weekend because Fry wasn't bad. But anyway, we'll get into it. Um, in my predictions last week, I can't believe I forgot about the possibility of having grid penalties because at a track like Monza, uh, it seems like grid penalties are very common here, um, especially with teams that want to bring kind of like an upgraded engine to the track. I know that's harder to do with the... Uh, with the current set of rules, with engine freeze and whatnot, and I, I know in in the rules it does say you're not supposed to um, upgrade the engine in any way, performance-wise, but you are allowed to uh, uh, add things to enhance reliability. i I'm, I'm not really uh, I'm not really nailing the terminology here, but of course it's Formula One. There's going to be loopholes. Um, it seems like in the past this would be a place where. You actually might take a grid penalty to have a better engine the rest of the season. But anyway, we got a whole slew of grid penalties, guys. Um, As most of you saw who watched the race, Sainz and Hamilton, they're starting at the back. Perez and Verstappen, both Red Bulls taking engine penalties. Just not full back of the grid. Verstappen only five places, with Perez taking ten places. As well as a slew of other drivers. I believe Ocon took a ten place penalty, uh, both Haases took 15 place grid penalties. Sonoda was at the back of the grid. A whole bunch. Um, and I would also say going into this weekend, at least something I was very excited to see was how well Alex Albon and even Nicholas Latifi were going to be able to fare here. They're, the worst car on the grid is the Williams. I think that's undebatable. Um, but... When you strip the downforce, or everyone strips the downforce off their cars, the Williams is better because it has very little downforce when they need it. So when they don't need it, they are able to at least um, use the um, the advantages the car has to their advantage, um, or I should say the positives of the car maybe. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. It is a car that is suited to a low downforce track and... We unfortunately get word that Alex Albon gets appendicitis on Saturday morning. So Nick DeVries, who actually got running in the Aston Martin in FP1, as well as Antonio Giminazzi, I should say that as well. He's back in an F1 car with Haas. That was great to see. Um, And although Italy is home for Gio, unfortunately that Haas car struggled mightily at this track. Um, so not exactly the best weekend for him to get a shot in the Haas, but I'm sure he was happy to just be in a car. Um, but yeah, Nick DeVries, we get him in FP1 and then on Saturday he's hopping in the Williams. Um, and he obviously didn't really get a great opportunity either, similar to Gio, because Aston really struggled to show, um, any pace this weekend. So of course, Nick can't really show his stuff when he's in a car like the Aston this weekend, which is awful. But yeah, Alex Albon has to go under the knife. They need a reserve driver. Nick is at the track, of course. So they give him the opportunity that he so desired. His first qualifying and first race in F1. Um, And despite DeVries stepping into a team that has only scored six points this season, I guess that's also giving it away if you know how many points Williams had going into this race. (laughs) I guess I should have said four points. Oops, I am telling you that Williams scored two points. Anyways... The Williams was uh, actually much more competitive than usual, of course, because of the things that I said. So being in a Williams this weekend was actually much better than being in an Aston Martin. Um, But yeah, so unfortunate for Albon, who I think missed out on the team's biggest opportunity to score a huge result. Um but yeah, up front, um, let's get into quality a little bit. I believe that after practice, most expected Max and his rapid Red Bull to find a way to go fastest in quality, despite Ferrari actually kind of being the better qualifier all season long. Um, and I think Ferrari did surprise people. And um, obviously, with everyone taking an engine penalty, Max, Signs, Lewis, Sergio. It was basically between Leclerc and Russell for pole and with Mercedes pace in practice, it looked like Russell was going to have no chance. So it was almost guarantee Leclerc was going to be on pole position unless he made a mistake. Um, because like I said, Mercedes didn't appear quick enough to challenge her pole at all. In fact, I actually thought that their pace, um, might've allowed Alpine. Um, I would say definitely Alpine more than anyone to be able to maybe slot up higher up the grid. And that didn't exactly happen, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, in Q1, in the least shocking turn of events, because this happens every single weekend it seems like, we get another distraught Vettel on team radio, as the Aston Martin is just not there on quality pace, although it wasn't really there on race pace this weekend either. Um, I got the feeling from watching Vettel this weekend, in and out of the car, that this place... You know, the place that gave him his first win in F1 back in 2008 in the Toro Rosso. Just an epic, epic moment. Um, I feel like this place is very special to him. And, of course, this is his last season. And I really think he wanted a better result. Um, so that was it was a bit heartbreaking this one more so than oh, like the eight other times that Vettel has screamed no or like, come on or like it seems like he's always qualifying 16th and then like complaining that he doesn't get out of Q1 because it's like a tiny margin. Uh Poor Seb. But also the Haas and the Astons, they just had absolutely nothing to offer at this track. They both joined Nicholas Latifi, Latifi in the bottom five, meaning the Canadian was out-qualified by his teammate on his debut with only one other run in the car back in FP1. And I know this is audio only, but I am still holding my head just in pain for Nicholas Latifi. Oh, such a bad look. He is, he is surely going to be replaced at the end of this season now. I know Yas Caputo, uh, team principal of Williams, had said we're going to give Latifi a few races to prove himself, prove his worth to the team. And he puts together two stinkers in Zanvort and in Monza. Yeah. Um, DeVries was not able to escape Q2, though, so he didn't completely embarrass his teammate. Um, although his performance in Quali actually earned him P8 on the grid because of those penalties, which is actually the highest starting grid position for someone's debut since Lando Norris in 2019. I thought that was pretty cool. So congratulations to Vries. Yes, it was very lucky. He went only 13th fastest, but P8 on the grid. So I think you can uh, congratulate yourself for that one. Also in Q2, Sonoda didn't set a time. He didn't need to. He was guaranteed to start at the back. Um, while Bottas and Joe, the Alfa Romeos, still not quite there on pace. They joined Ocon. Ocon surprisingly just missed out on the top ten, and like I said, the Alpine, very shocking to see it not be able to hold, with, uh, just kind of the stay with the top. I thought they might actually be faster than Mercedes this weekend, but no. Alphatauri was looking a little quicker than Alpine to be honest. Um, in Q3, Alonso did make it into Q3, but he did not set a time, so he was tenth. Ocon was eleventh, although Ocon did have the penalty. So they actually started very far away from each other. But anyway, Gasly and the McLarens, uh, they were the other ones in Q3 besides the top six, of course. They could not compete with the Mercedes, who also could not get anywhere near the Ferraris and the Red Bulls. Sainz was absolutely flying in quality, but he was out of the running for pole due to his penalties. He really just had to out-qualify Hamilton to maximize his Saturday. And he was kind of playing toe for Leclerc for like part of part of qualifying. Um, but, yeah, like I said, Leclerc also has no competition for pole at this point due to the penalties of the Red Bulls and his teammate. And although Max and Checo, they, they didn't have full back-of-the-grid penalties, so they still have something to fight for. Max doesn't want to finish 10th because that puts him at 15th. You know what I mean? He wants to be first, so he's only in 6th. And Checo, 10 penalties, same thing. He wants to be in 11th rather than 16th. You know what I mean? So they, they still had every every right or every reason to fight for each position that they had to get as high as possible. In the end, to, I would say, my surprise at the very least, Leclerc actually goes quicker than Max. Um, obviously, to the delight of the Tafosi, um, he picks up his eighth pole of the year, which is the most a Ferrari driver has been able to manage since Michael Schumacher in 2004. Um while Signs did go quicker than Perez in P4, uh, so or sorry, Perez settled for P4. Sainz was in P3. It didn't really matter though, but it knocked Perez down um, a position, I think, because the grid was all screwed up. So I'm actually not sure if that position did actually matter for Perez. But anyway, actually, you know what? I don't think it would have mattered. Because I think Ocon ended up behind Perez, and Ocon should have been in 21st. But because of all the people that had to slot in behind him, he's moved up. Anyway, just a whole mess this grid was. So yeah, after Quali, this is, this is a clear poll. Verstappen second, Sainz third. The boos are raining down on Verstappen. F1 fans waited for ages just to learn what the grid uh, for Sunday's race would look like. And um, I, I'm gonna have to toot my own horn real quick here. This is somewhat of a proud moment for myself. So right after the uh, after qualifying, it was about 11 p.m. or sorry, 11 a.m. my time is when this would have ended. And literally 30, 45 minutes after qualifying, and mind you, I watched the post qualifying interview, so that always takes like 15 minutes. So pretty quickly, I would say. Thirty minutes, give or take. I actually tweeted out the grid before many motorsport news sources, and I follow a ton, of course, because I'm I keep up with the F1 world. I'm a hardo, okay. I keep up with it as much as I possibly can, um, and I follow pretty much everyone that there is to follow, even like some small insiders that actually give some great information that not a lot of people know about. Um, but anyway. I'd feel like they weren't gonna tweet out the grid because they, no one knew for sure. But based on the information that was given, I was able to come up with the grid. And yes, it was the actual grid that the FIA eventually posted hours and hours later. And all the comments I get on my tweet are congratulations because I, I tweeted, you're welcome, this is the grid. And this guy says, congratulations, this is fake. Another one, oh, thanks for the fake news, bro. Um, and then another guy's like questioning where I put Ocon. He's like, Ocon's going to start ahead of the Astins, And yeah, all, all that. And I, to be fair, I actually did start to see sources post an unofficial grid that by a certain set of rules would actually make sense. So I started to question it and I was like, okay, I thought the grid penalties worked out this way, but apparently... By these rules, it sounds like they work out another way. And I'm not going to get it. On audio, this just sounds silly to try to explain what I mean. So anyway, um, they weren't the rules that I thought were the case. Um, And with all the comments that I got and then starting to see official news sources post an unofficial grid, I actually decided to delete the tweet. Um, Eventually, the FIA, like I said, did post the grid. And will you look at that, it's the exact grid that I tweeted. Um, So... Yeah, I just wanted to quickly say that I am officially a news source because I joked about that um, on a previous episode saying that I thought it was funny that I called myself a news source. Well, guess what? At BreakBiasF1 on Twitter, official news source now. First one to post the grid. I'm I'm breaking news for you guys now. So follow me. That's right. Sorry, I had to take the time on the podcast for this humble brag, but you know it is what it is. <laughs> anyway, so uh, let's get into the race. Uh, so even with Leclerc holding off Russell at the start, of course, Russell moved up to the front row because I guess I guess I maybe should have mentioned that because everyone around him was taking penalties, and the McLarens actually started in the second row, just just so you guys get an idea. But I feel like everyone who listens to this did watch the race. So that's why some of these some of these times I'm like I, I do my recaps and I talk about things that everyone already knows. But anyway, I try to give my opinions throughout uh, throughout the recaps. <laughs> anyway, Lando has a horrendous start from P3. It gives Max Verstappen a great opportunity with his great getaway to make up positions very fast on lap one in just a matter of a couple corners. Verstappen's up to P4 just like that at the back, Sainz had a pretty good start getting himself ahead of Sergio Perez, who started in 14th as Lewis Hamilton. He kind of, I think he took a lot more of a conservative approach to the start, which I understand, um, but he did actually lose a position in doing so. He, well, he started 19th and was 19th, but Sonoda got ahead of him. It was just that Bottas who got hit um, fell behind him. But yeah, after Max very quickly dispatched George for P2 in just a few laps. He was kind of managing the gap to Leclerc until a VSC came out for Vettel's Aston Martin. Yeah, like I said, not the Monza weekend that the uh, four-time champ wanted. I felt bad for Vettel, Um, but this race is unfortunately not about him. So Leclerc pits under the VSC while Max extends on his softs. Red Bull was, I think, pleasantly surprised to see Leclerc come out on his medium tire not the hards they had a radio message saying that you know leclerc is on this is to max that leclerc is on the mediums that's going to be one hell of a second stint to be able to pull that off so either he is going to struggle to make a one-stop work or go to the less than ideal two-stop because in monza the temple of speed cars are going extremely fast down the pit straight And you were losing a ton of time having to slow down to go into the pits while those cars are going full speed. Um, But, yeah, that pit stop, because um, the VSC was, like, the green flag came out kind of halfway through the pit stop. It didn't really get Leclerc and Ferrari the advantage that they wanted by pitting under the VSC. So, it kind of put Leclerc on the back foot for the rest of the race, especially because he's pinning not in really a great window And then there was also the brilliance of Verstappen being able to maintain a great pace out front on the softs for over 20 laps, while the likes of Sainz, Hamilton, Norris, and a few others brought their mediums very far into the Grand Prix as well. We saw some pretty good tire management, I would say, in this race. They were all able, the medium runners, that is, to make it to the soft and do a medium soft. So it did look like soft, medium, one stop was the strategy to go. Um, we had Perez and Russell try putting on the hards, although Russell, or sorry, Perez put the hards on super early, like lap seven or something ridiculous like that. So Perez actually did have to come back in for softs at the end. That was not a good strategy, but I feel like there might've been something else going on with there because seven laps was, was bad. And then, and these guys on TikTok try to tell me that Sergio Perez is the tire management king. Oh, don't even get me started on that. He is great at tire management, guys. Come on. I know. I know. But don't, don't try to tell me that this guy is the best tire manager in F1, okay? Give me a break. Lewis Hamilton t- on the tires, way better. <laughs> Getting way off track here. Speaking of finishing on the soft, Leclerc was not going to win the race with Max attacking on his much fresher mediums. Um, So Ferrari did attempt the two-stop, but it was to no avail as Leclerc was gaining tenths per lap on the softs, not the seconds that he needed to catch and pass the Dutchman. Um, A sliver of hope came for Ferrari uh, when Daniel Ricciardo, unfortunately, had to pull over to the side of the road after a decent race from him. uh, He kept a pack behind him for a long time. He should have been in P8. However, a full safety car was brought out for him. He was out of the race. And it should have brought Max and Leclerc close together with, I mean, both of them on fresh softs. Leclerc probably not going to be able to do anything to Max. But controversially, the race never restarted, giving Max the win. And Leclerc was upset about it. He definitely wanted to fight for it. I think it benefited Hamilton because he had track position, but his softs were... 13 laps old, as opposed to Perez and Norris with much fresher sauce behind him. He could have been exposed. But the safety car not restarting, and of course, Ricardo obviously retiring, really hurt McLaren because Norris was at that time in P6 ahead of Perez, and Ricardo was in P8. They could have brought home a pretty solid double points finish while Alpine, because of the retirement of Alonso and Ocon being out of the points, could have had a pretty big points haul instead lando actually loses a position because he pitted under the safety car to get the fresh rubber and he lost a position to perez in doing so and didn't even get to fight for it back so that was that was tough for mclaren obviously and perez um also let lewis off a bit easy for p5 because of the uh, what i mentioned about lewis having kind of worn softs as a as opposed to uh the fresher sauce of Perez. But anyway, that was the race. And before I do my results real quick, I do want to say that I don't know if this recap made it sound as boring as this race really was. um, Because it kind of was for Monza. We get these bangers all the time. And it was the same with Azerbaijan this year too. Just this max domination. And you know, if you can dominate like this, you should. I mean, Max is special, and he's in a special car, and I would want to win every single race too if I were him. But for the fans, I have to say, the uh, the quality of the races are really dropping off because of how dominant Max Verstappen is. Uh, Zandvoort was solid because Mercedes was, was in the fight. Hungary kind of had some hecticness to it, even though Verstappen won from P10. But these these past two, Spa and Monza with the engine penalties, on paper should be such good races, but they end up being kind of boring. Um, Had it not been for me cheering for DeVries the whole time, this would have just been not great. Of course, we did get a beautiful double overtake from Hamilton that I guess I should have mentioned. Being the Hamilton fan that I am, Um, that was a pretty, pretty nice double overtake right before the curva grande um, takes that different line gets lando and gasly in the matter of a corner was brilliant but anyway the final results for Stappen makes it five in a row in p1 leclerc and p2 who i think honestly did his best with a less ideal strategy that i am actually not for a change not harping on ferrari for i think that they they did a reasonable gamble Verstappen probably would have won regardless of what they did they got a bit shafted by the vsc um ending earlier than they expected and seeing leclerc's pace on that fresh soft versus max on his worn mediums that i think just showed you that it didn't matter what ferrari did they were not winning this race um P3 was Russell, again, maximizes his result, taking the lead over Hamilton for most podiums on the team now with seven. What else can you say about George Russell? I mean, I wouldn't say this guy's an inexperienced driver in F1 at this point. He's been around for a little bit. But when has he made a mistake this year? I know some people have said that the Silverstone big crash with Joe was actually his fault, and I think that's kind of... If that's going to be your response to this question, then I think that's a bit of a cop-out. Um, Russell has done nothing wrong. I think at times his race pace has been a little bit inferior to Hamilton's. But for the most part, he has matched one of the world's best drivers. And yeah, I have absolutely full confidence that if Mercedes can build their car back up, even with whether it's Hamilton like out of out of F1 or he has a new teammate, George Russell can and probably will win an F1 world title. I have absolutely no, yeah, just no, why can't I think of the word? <laughs> I have no doubt, holy, I have no doubt that he can do it. Incredible driver. Um, Science, who put on a pretty incredible overtaking display on the first end. He makes it back to P4 from P18, followed by Hamilton in P5 from P19. Nice comeback drive from him with a less competitive Mercedes. Perez was P6 after the late pit stop lost him a position to Hamilton. Norris was P7. Should have been P6, but he lost a position to Perez, like I said, when the race didn't restart. Gasly P8, who I think is starting to get on a roll a little bit for uh, for AlphaTauri, and that could be huge for them in the constructors, like I will mention in just one second when I go over the constructor standings. DeVries. P-9, P-9 in his first race, huge for Williams and great for his chances of earning a drive in F-1 for 2023. I think doubts have been there about DeVries for years now and I think he was finally able to show that he is F-1 worthy. It's just, do they believe that he's someone that can wow people? And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for and a young driver, and DeVries isn't young, he's 27. But we'll see who earns that at Williams Drive. I just know it can't be Latifi. And in P10 was Joe, who continues to show his merit against Bottas, scoring Alpha Tires, or sorry, Alfa Romeo's first points since Canada. Since Canada. Crazy. For a team in P6 and the Constructors, Scoring one point since Canada. Canada felt like ages ago. Ages ago. I, I That just is still crazy to me. What a fall off by Alfa Romeo, but great race from Joe. He was right on DeVries's tail, almost picking up a P9, and he outqualifies Bottas and outscores Bottas again. I think Bottas has been rather unlucky recently, but. You can't hold that against Joe, who is getting it done. So, yeah, Max Verstappen leads the Drivers' Championship with 335 points. He can clinch the title in Singapore. I am going to talk about that on a future episode, what the stipulations are for that to happen. I'm not going to get into it now because, like I said, it's a few weeks away until we actually get a race, so I need things to talk about on future episodes. Uh, Cyril Leclerc leads Sergio Perez by 9 points for P2. That is a way more interesting battle at this point because we leads. Uh, I'm not even doing what the gap is to P2 anymore because it's just pointless. He has this wrapped. Um, and a not so distant P4 is George Russell, who is only seven points behind Checo. And I said Checo is nine points behind Leclerc. That is a pretty small gap to P2, I must say, for uh, George Russell. I mentioned that on the last episode. P2 is possible, especially if Ferrari um, has some reliability woes like they did earlier in the season. It does look like they have somewhat, somewhat ironed that out. Every once in a while, Leclerc is like, make sure the engine's okay, and you just get another heart attack. But anyway, signs <laughs> he sits 16 points back um, from Russell in P5, while Hamilton is 35 points back from his teammate. Norris is in P7 with a 22-point lead to Ocon in P8. and P9 is Fernando Alonso, who is 7 points back from Ocon. And in P10 is Valtteri Bottas, who faced more bad luck early on when he made contact with Magnussen. Yeah, I think I mentioned that earlier. I actually forget. But yeah, Bottas did uh, come together with Magnussen on the opening lap, and that set him back right from the start. But in the constructors, Red Bull leads Ferrari 545 to 406. Quick maths, how much is that? That is 139 points. Right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Where was that math skill when I was in school? Anyway, um, while the Scuderia keep ahead of the Mercedes um, with a 5-point gain... So that is 4.06. Now Mercedes, 35 point back. Quick maths again. I, I'm not doing it this time. No, it's just it's just not going to happen. What is that? 3.71? Yeah. Wow. Stud. Uh, McLaren gained on Alpine for the best of the rest battle, but still trail the French team by 18 points. Alfa Romeo gained a point to keep comfortably in 6th. Uh, while Haas went scoreless again, and AlphaTauri scored four to bring within one point of Haas. Aston Martin sits eight points back of AlphaTauri, while Williams remain in P10 despite scoring two points. They are 19 points behind Aston Martin, and I think after their best chance to score big points um, just past this weekend, it is guaranteed that they will finish in P10 this season so, now it's time for my prize, demise, and surprise. The prize. I think it absolutely has to be Nick DeVries. No one had more to gain than Nick DeVries this weekend. And I think he did basically all that he could do. Not only was he driver of the day, because I don't just pick this guys based on who I think had the best drive. I think that can be... um. That can be mistaken sometimes that I'm not just picking who I ha- think had the best drive. That, of course, is a factor in my choice. But I take the whole storyline and in, in scenario into it. And, of course, like I said, he had the most to gain. He wasn't overly aggressive this weekend. But because he started so far up the grid, his car was further up the grid than it belonged so really the only criticism that you could have for him is that he wasn't able to make a move on gasly when the opportunity came but honestly i think his tires were probably in rough shape at that point and you know for his first race this was the most you could expect he probably realizes the position that he's in and doesn't want to take any risks either a very mature drive um and then after the race he reports that his shoulders were very sore in fact he actually needed help getting out of the car um, so yeah, what a job by Nick. Um, the adrenaline, I think, was keeping it going. He, I think he said that. And then when the safety car came and he slowed down, he was like, "Oh my God, my shoulders are so bad." So it's probably good that it didn't restart for Nick DeVries. Vries. Um, and honestly, he may have just dealt a blow to Sargent's chance at a seat with Williams. Um, I guess we'll see if Sargent gets uh, gets a good performance in in FP1 in the USA before the decision is made. Um, because if the decision isn't made, or sorry, I should say if the decision is made before USA, um, I don't think Sargent will be the choice. I think they might want to delay it that late just to see if Sargent is the play. Um, demise, um, staying in the Williams family here, I think the demise easily is Latifi because he just lost his seat this weekend. Yeah, like I said, I'm not giving it to the absolute worst drive, although it may have still been him. Like I said, it's it's the bigger picture here, and Latifi just lost his seat. There's really no other way to put it. A reserve driver coming in with zero F1 experience. Yes, he's not. It's not like he's 18 and like some wonder kid. Um, but damn, I maybe the wonder kid will actually be easier to take, but. Yeah, Nick DeVries had a similar junior career to Latifi, I think. I think people forget that Latifi was actually pretty solid in F2. And, of course, DeVries was not F2 champion, but he did it in his third year. And Latifi had a successful third year. I believe it was his third year in F2. Kind of similar junior careers. And then DeVries just comes in and mops the floor with him. And And Latifi's had 16 races, still zero points. And DeVries just comes in, yes, on the perfect track for the Williams. But Latifi's not getting anything out of his Williams. So, uh, just so painful for a, a Canadian motorsport fan. I think we're all aware of Latifi's um, lack of performance at this point. But I still want him to just break out of this funk that weekend after weekend, it's just starting to look like it's not even a funk. Yes, he was top of the times in fb3 and hungary and yeah made it into q3 and in silverstone but those performances are way too way too just far apart um too few and what it was that saying few and far between that's that's what it is <laughs> they are few and far between um so yeah latifi you're unfortunately out of formula one pal and i think And as a fan of Williams, if Williams keeps Latifi, they should be at a Formula 1, and Andretti should come in, because that, as much as I hate to say it, is a joke, if they keep Latifi. So now my surprise, I think it was, um, uh, I'm going to go with the fact McLaren was better than Alpine here. Yes, McLaren had a 1-2 here, and some people just based off of, and I don't want to, use the term casual fan, but this is a completely different McLaren and a completely different year, and if you expected McLaren to do well here just because they did well last year at Monza, I'm afraid you don't know much about the characteristics of the McLaren car, but maybe I don't either because I thought the Alpine would have a very good shot at a huge result. I predicted Fernando Alonso P3, like literally on the podium because of the grid penalties, and the Alpine would be good here. And I thought the Mercedes would be nowhere. Um, But I was sadly mistaken. And somehow McLaren had actually decent pace here. I don't think it was good pace, but it was decent. And they made fewer mistakes than Alpine, I guess, although McLaren had their fair share of mistakes as well. Yeah, just... Strange. Um, Alonso complained about the deployment, which I think was why he ended up having to retire. Clearly, there was an issue there. Ocon was mysteriously nowhere in this race. I know he kind of hides in the shadows even when he is performing well. But I got absolutely no word of anything that was going on with him. I don't know why he was off the pace. I didn't even see a post-race interview with him. Um, so, yeah, I really have no answers to why that he was so slow um and then ricardo who has been so easy to get by like all season long nobody was able to get past him this time um and his drs train was was pretty big at one point and the only people getting through were the guys in the top three car signs was flying hamilton was flying max was flying at the start um so yeah mclaren I think he kind of bottled um, a big chance to catch up to P4, uh, but they still had the measure of Alpine this weekend, and that is definitely surprising. So yeah, uh, let's talk about the championship, but not an F1. We're talking F2 and F3. All right, first off, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about F2 or F3 first, but I'm going to do F2 because there is two people that I owe an apology to, and that is Felipe Drugovich and Jack Dewin, mostly Jack Dewin, for forgetting them in my 2023 grid predictions. I don't know how in the world I forgot about Jack Doohan. I said Ricardo, might, I, I predicted Ricardo to still get the Alpine seat, and to be fair, Alpine did say that they are valuing experience um, for their seat next to Ocon, and Dewan has very little of that, even in F2. But, man, he was probably the most likely, or at least by rumors, the most likely person to get that Alpine seat going into the weekend, and I just totally blanked on that. Yeah, so I apologize to all my listeners, too. Jack Dewan is a strong candidate for that Alpine seat. So look out for that. Apology to do it. And of course, a drug who I didn't even mention as like flyers for Williams. Um, I should have definitely mentioned that, but as, as for a he of course won the F2 championship from the pit lane. Um, because he was taken out early in the sprint race, um, from a lap one incident with, I believe, Cordiel. Um, I think it was Cordiel. i I apologize if I'm getting the person wrong there. Um, but his advantage over Teo Portrayer was enough after Portraire failed to score. There's three races to go at this point. He still seals the championship. Um, and then later that weekend, he reaches a deal with Aston Martin to join their driver development program as well as be their reserve driver next year. He's going to get a run in Abu Dhabi in FP1 and then uh, the winter test in last year's Aston. A huge weekend for Felipe. He also wins MP Motorsports' first driver's championship. Yeah, incredible incredible year for the Brazilian. Wins five races, which isn't an overwhelming amount, but he was super consistent. He finished in the top 10 in every single feature race besides Austria, and guess where he finished in that one? P11, just outside the points. So yeah, I think going into the year, a lot of people expected Lawson and Porcher to be the, the title protagonists, the front runners, if you will. And although Porcher had a solid season, of course, um, is looking like he'll probably finish in P2, he was no match for Drogovic this season. Um, yeah, and I don't, I, I think everywhere that I saw, I actually looked afterwards um, of just, of course, these are just nobodies posting their F2 predictions for the season. And everywhere, people were Drogovic in P7 to P10 range. I saw nobody say, oh, Drogovic is in my top three this year. Like, that is really showing you that this is this he, this kind of came out of nowhere. Yes, he is one of the more seasoned drivers on the F2 grid. But, yeah, I don't think anyone was expecting that. So, yeah, hats off to Drogovic. Um, and as for Porcher, uh, he might get a look in the Alfa Romeo this season. I would be really surprised if Alfa Romeo didn't use one of their young driver tests on Porcher. I think that would be a wasted opportunity. And I also saw that apparently chair might not take part in F2 next season. So that would be uh, that would be quite surprising. Well, not quite surprising. It would just, I think it would be a shame if Alfa Romeo didn't give him a role. Um, yeah, so I think just in general, the F2 season, um, I, I try to follow it as much as I can, watch a few races when I can, but I am very busy. And um, I do just want to say, I think this F2 season has a very good crop of rookies. But most of them do need, I think, some more experience. Um, and maybe have a bit more to prove before we can declare that they are ready for F1. Guys like Sergeant, uh, Dewin, Frederick Vesti, Dennis Hauger, and Ayumu Awasa. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. I just, I just call him Awasa. Awasa is very fast. Um, and I actually really like his talent, but still too raw, not ready for F1. Um, yeah, and I might be forgetting a few people. Uh, I don't think Richard Verschoor is quite there. Marcus Arm- Armstrong, he he actually had some solid performances this year. Um, yeah, sorry if I, I like I said I don't religiously watch F two like I do F one. That's for sure. So I am probably forgetting some people. Um, oh yeah, Yuri Vips, but. Yeah, I don't really know if I want to see him in F1. These these are, an, I'm just naming guys on the grid. These aren't even rookies at this point. Jehan Derubula. Uh Yeah, um, I think there were some pretty solid drivers um, in F2 this season, and especially the rookies. I think the rookie class is pretty solid. Uh, so, yeah, F3, Alpine Academy driver Victor Martin. Martin. I know some people, I heard some people say Martins, and some just said Martins, and I don't know. If this guy's French, it should be Martin, right? Martin <laughs> uh, he he won a thrilling championship this past Sunday. and I have to be honest, I don't really follow f three much at all. I knew the uh, contenders, and hey, if you want to hate on me for not watching f one feeder series, go for it i i'm I'm trying to follow it as much as I can, but i, I like I said, I already barely have time to watch f two. so f three is even further down the priority list. I know that sounds bad, but I follow it because I want to know more about these guys if they do eventually get to F1. So yeah, this this past Sunday, the final race of the season, seven drivers in contention for the title going into the weekend. And I guess for people who don't watch F2 or F3, I should have said this already. Each weekend is a sprint race and a feature race, and things work a little bit differently. They have a reverse grid after pole position, the top 10 get reversed. For the sprint race I mean I think that's correct even I don't even know the goddamn rules you get 2 points for pole I know that and of course the uh, I think only the top 8 get points in the sprint race in F2 maybe it is the top 10 no I think it's the top 8 yeah, yeah it's the top 8 and I think their points might be a bit different as well because I think you get 10 points for first in a sprint race in F2 and F3 but you only get 8 for the, that in F1 Anyways, now you understand. They do sprint race and feature race all the time. I mentioned, I said top 10 at every feature race for Felipe Drugovich. So there's features and sprints every weekend. Just so you guys know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so the Barbadian driver. I actually just learned this while looking this up today. That apparently Barbadian drivers, or not just drivers, Barbadian people are called Bajans. Because... It's like a sh- quicker way of saying Barbadian, Barbajan, Beajan. I didn't know that. If you knew that, you can call me dumb. But I did not know that. Anyway, Zane Maloney. This guy actually finished P2 in the championship because he ended the season on absolute fire. I I did not. I actually hadn't heard of him until I started following F3 a little bit at the end, just to see he was winning the championship. And this guy was lighting it at the end of the year. Incredible end to the season. Um, he picked up the win in the final race, of course, followed by British prima driver, Ollie Behrman, who I think a lot of people had high expectations going f- into this season. He did have a solid season, but he finished seven points behind Marte. <laughs> I'm going to keep calling him that. I just love saying that Marte, uh, but yeah, they're within seven points, both of them Maloney and Behrman. So like I said, super, super close championship, um, In fact, the top seven, like I said, seven people were in contention for the title. The top seven were separated by 25 points in the end. But yeah, this race, this feature race, ended pretty controversially as well under red flag conditions. With five laps to go, um, and it ensured that the title went to Marte with his P4 finish after his five-second penalty demoted him off the podium. But it was still enough to claim the F3 title. So both Drogovic and Martin celebrated their titles off the track. That is pretty wild. I remember last year, Piastri, I remember seeing his celebration of winning F2, Hauger of winning F3, you know, Verstappen winning F1. These celebrations are meant to happen on the track. And we get both major F1 feeder series celebrating their titles from the pit lane. I don't know how many times that's happened, if ever. I would put money that it has never happened. So I thought that was pretty crazy. Um, yeah, and I think it's likely that Martin will probably move up to F2 next season following his uh, his big win in the championship. Um, because if you don't know, if you win F2 or F3, you're not allowed to compete next year. It's a rule. So I would be surprised if Martin didn't get a seat in f2 next year that would be pretty strange um but yeah as for the others in contention i have a feeling it won't be the last time we hear their names that being maloney bearman um arthur leclaire uh is Charles claire's brother he is in f3 um then there's uh what's his name uh is it hajar dennis hajar i believe i i'm sorry if i'm saying that right wrong roman stainek uh Jack Crawford and I think I might be forgetting one um and I apologize for that but yeah pretty pretty solid uh top 7 in F3 this year and yeah like I said I think you'll be hearing those names again at some point um so yeah that's uh, going to do it just before I wrap up here like I said no race for 3 weeks so next week we will have no preview but we will have an episode There looks to still be a lot more stuff to talk about in the driver market, so we will definitely have a little chat about that. And I also have some fun planned for that episode Um, that's also going to become a series on my TikTok. And it actually might be more entertaining to watch it there, but if you are a loyal Brake Bias fan, I thank you. Thank you so much. It is going to be on there for you guys as well. But maybe you want to check it out on both. I don't know. That is up. to you. Anyway, that will do it for the Ulkenberg episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 28 next week for that little surprise that I have for you guys. So keep an eye on that. Goodbye.